Okay, good morning. All right. Yes, it's great to be back and to open up the Word with you. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers. Uh, Specifically, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. The book of Numbers is early on in the Bible. It's the fourth book of the Bible, so if you're looking for it, just flip through the first few pages. You'll eventually discover Numbers, and we're looking for the big 2-1, chapter uh, 21. And and to kind of set up our time this morning, I want to kind of give us a random, obscure fact. I'm a fun fact kind of guy. Uh, so here, here's a fun fact for you that hopefully will tie in uh, to our passage here in a few minutes. Uh, the year was 1896, and where Vietnam is, a, a massive flood came, okay? And something really bizarre happened when this flood started creeping inland in Vietnam. There were all these cobras that lived on the outside of Vietnam that started fleeing to safety and they started going into these villages these cobras did and what started happening is that people started getting bit by these cobras and and sadly as as these cobras started fleeting inland uh, people were dying Uh, so there's this scientist in 1896 named Albert Clemente who was really troubled by this He was like, why are these people dying to these cobras, these poisonous snakes? So he set out on a mission. He went to Vietnam and began to do his research and study to think like, what is it that we can create to save these people from this deadly poison? Right, this this poison was seeping into their body and it was causing paralysis in their heart and in their lungs. Like, Like, so we need to figure out something for this. Well, he discovered something quite amazing. That, that actually the venom that was killing these people would actually be what will save them. Upon observing, he realized if you put a small dose of this cobra venom inside of a bloodstream, that, that these antibodies from our body will flee to this infected area, fight off this venom, and then create like this massive army of antibodies and then go to the larger infected area of the body and to begin protecting themselves from the venom. See, our our bodies are not designed to have foreign substances to, to just live there like cobra venom and a lot of other things. But thankfully, God in his goodness gave someone like Albert to kind of pioneer what anti venom would be. Very, who knew that the very thing that would save us from a poisonous snake bite would it be its own venom? And as I was thinking about this discovery of anti-venom, uh, I, maybe it's maybe the preacher in me or something, but like I just see something that's just so parallel to us. See, like I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to assume most of us in this room will not be bitten by any kind of poisonous snake. We're just not going to handle rattlesnakes for fun here in Sunbury. <laughs> Maybe there's some of us in the back row back there that would, but not most of us won't handle poisonous snakes. But regardless, we all do have this poison inside of us, right? This, this poison that, that, that is seeping through our body and it's attacking our heart 
It's attacking our minds. And it's ultimately attacking our souls. And it's leading us to death. This poison that I'm talking about is sin. And the reality is no one here can escape this nature of sin. See, God is a holy God. And he designed the way that we should live to be a life of holiness. So anytime we do something that's against this holy nature of God, that is sin. Right? That, 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 that co-worker that you might be a little envious over because they got the promotion. Or, or that, that neighbor that's just so noisy and you just get so angry because you just want to sleep. I mean, it doesn't even have to be an outward action. I mean, even sin can be something that happens inside. It's an inward battle. I mean, how easy, it, it, how easy is it for us to begin to pursue the God of money or the God of comfort? How easy is it for us to seek the God of approval? So, so like all cards on the table before we like get into our text is like we need to come to this realization that, that we are sick. We are dying and sin is the culprit. God did not design us to die. He designed all things good and holy, but sin marred that. Sin broke that. Paul actually picks up on that theme in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But thankfully for our passage this morning, we'll see that God in his grace has given us a remedy A savior. So our main point that we'll see this morning will be this. We are dying from a deadly poison. And that poison is sin. But Christ is our antidote. We're dying from a deadly poison. But Christ. I love that. But Christ is our antidote. So if you found Numbers 21, I'll invite you. Uh, to stand with me if you are willing and able to stand. Uh, We read God's word and stand because we want to hear from the Lord this morning. We stand out of honor and respect that God is speaking to us. So we want to hear from him this morning. So Numbers chapter 21, and we're just going to read verses 4 through 9. So beginning in verse 4. For Mount Hor... They set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around to the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people, they came to Moses and said, we, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he will look at the bronze serpent and live. Church, this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people say, praise be to God. You may be seated. So over these next few weeks, we've 
are trying to prepare ourselves for Passion Week. We've kind of taken a detour from Romans, our series in Romans, to, to begin preparing our hearts for Easter. So last week, we saw Christ being the true Passover lamb and saw that Christ is the ultimate sacrifice that we need. He, it is his blood poured out on us that we need. So that, that's kind of kicked off our journey through Passion Week. This week, we're looking at Christ being the true bronze serpent. Now, you may be wondering, why on earth are we comparing Christ to a serpent? Because that's a little shocking, right? Like usually when we think of the word serpent, and really in the Bible, our minds go to evil. Maybe your mind goes to Genesis chapter 3, right? That's where we see the serpent slither into the garden, right? And convinces Adam and Eve to sin against God. Right? We, we think of some kind of evil nature, but, but yet why are we looking at Christ being a serpent? So, so kind of hold on to that. We'll, we'll begin to unpack that here in a minute. But for us to understand this truth, we need to understand one biblical principle, and it's this. That our salvation is completely dependent on God's provision. That our salvation is completely dependent on God's provision. So, so keep that thought in, in your mind as we journey through this passage and look at Christ being this serpent. But first, we need to understand who we are. Who we are as people. What is our human nature? So point one, our deadly poison. Our deadly poison. So we're in the book of Numbers, and I think it'll be helpful to give a backstory to Numbers, get, to kind of get some big mountain peak moments. Like, how, are we, how have we gotten to the book of Numbers? Like, what has transpired? What we see, uh, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, God creates, everything looks good, everything is good. Genesis 3, God's image bears rebel. Sin has entered into the world. The relationship between man and God is broken. All right? Now, from that point on, from Genesis 3 forward, we're trying to answer the question, how is God going to fix it? <laughs> it's a story of redemption. It's a rescue story. So from Genesis 3 on, God is on this mission to save his people, to, to restore his people. So the book of Numbers, it begins with God's people, Israel. Now, now at this time, Israel's nothing to brag about. Right? They're, they're kind of small. They're a little puny. They actually were just enslaved for over 400 years by the hands of Pharaoh. Right, We saw that last week. He was they were enslaved to Egypt. So God, he, he doesn't just save them from the hands of Pharaoh and then say, all right, now you go do whatever you want. Like, I'm going to go back up to heaven. And I'm going to do my thing. You go do your thing. No, 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 no. God does something amazing. He actually will give his people a promise. He promises his people that, all right, you, you were slaves. You had nothing of your own, but now you are mine, you're my children, and I'm going to give you a land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. He promises them a land, and not only a land full of food and water and comforts, but also that his very own presence will be with them. 
So that's the book of Numbers. It's this journey of God's people making it to the land flowing with milk and honey. And, and now you think, okay, all right, God's people, they just were rescued from the hands of Pharaoh. Like everything's looking good. They just saw God part the Red Sea. God did all these amazing things. And you would think like God's people, Israel's like, man, nothing can stop us. Like I, we're, we're ready to get to the promised land. You think that they would just be moving right along. Well, we get to Numbers 14. You can flip there or you can just hear. I'll read the verse for you. But Numbers 14, verse 3. It's like right when adversity hits. Right when something begins to not go their way. Listen to what happens to their hearts. Numbers 14, verse 3 says... Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the way of the sword? Our wives and our little ones would become prey. Would it not be better for us to stay in Egypt? Wow. Like, like we're here this morning and we can read that verse and be like, Israel, what, what are you thinking? Why are you talking to God like that? I mean, he just rescued from the hands of Pharaoh. He just saved you from this, this angel that just passed over your, the firstborn. And now you're saying, you want to go back? Like, like Israel, what are, you, what are you thinking? I think a good question to ask here is when life gets difficult and when that adversity comes, when something doesn't seem to go your way, how do you talk to God? How do you? Is that default gut reaction begin to, to gripe and to complain? To question God's goodness and God's faithfulness? As we see here of Israel? Well, because of their response to God, because of this adversity, God righteously will give them a judgment. Their judgment is now that they won't be able to enter into the promised land. And they're going to have to wander around in zigzags for 40 years in the wilderness before they enter into the land that is flowing with milk and honey. 40 years to see this, this generation that, that just gripes and complains when adversity hits so that this new generation can step in. All right, I hope that was helpful. A little bit of context of numbers. Because now we're in chapter 21. That's where we're at this morning. We had this new generation of God's people. And you think this new generation has now learned from their parents and their grandparents, right? Like, just, just stay faithful. Keep your hands on the plow. Just keep going forward. Just listen to God and he will take care of the rest. You, you, know, you think that would be a big theme in raising their children. Because they've been wandering for 40 years. So now we got this new generation. But what we will see is that sin will repeat. Like we cannot escape our sin nature, church. And just because we see our, the sins of the old happen doesn't mean we won't do them. We actually would fall into the same traps. Look at Numbers 21.4. It says, From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. 
So, so here we are. We have God's people. They're at a mountain called Mount Hor, and they wanted to pass through the land of Edom. Right? So they're, they're here, and they see their destination. It's just a straight shot through Edom. It's the quickest way. It's the safest way. It's the less burdensome way. It's the less inconvenient way. So what Moses does, he sends a messenger into Edom and says, hey, can you ask them if us Israelites can just pass through? Like, we won't do nothing. We won't touch anything. We won't look at anything. We just want to pass through. We're just trying to get there. Like, I see where we need to go. We just need to go straight. I just want to get there. And Edom's like, no, 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 no. We don't want you here. You want to go around. It's kind of like here in Sunbury right now. It, this sounds so petty, but I kind of see what's happening here. Like if, if you come to church through like, I think that's front, and then you have to come up Reagan, like there's, a, like there's no turning on Reagan right now. Like you have to go around. Like how annoying is that? Like it, it's something so petty, but like it is so annoying. And now they're like blocking the roads out. So like now my little shortcut ways I can't do anymore. Like, come on now. Like I actually have to go all the way around. Either I have to go on market and hit all the red lights or I have to go all the way up. You know, like, I, I, look, I get it. You know, we gripe and complain over petty roadblocks. And now here we have God's people. They got a major detour. I mean, they got to go all the way around Edom, which was not some small hike. So because of this inconvenience, they became impatient. They became tired. They became annoyed. Look, it's a new generation, but it's the same issue. Forty years later. Because look at verse 5. And again, this is because they have to walk around. <laughs> verse 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we, and we loathe this worthless food. Isn't it eerie how similar they sound than their, the other generation in Numbers 14? It, it is almost like the same exact words. Like, God, we hate you, and we want to go back to Egypt. Like, you don't know what's best for us. We know what's best. At least in Egypt, we had these things. But here in the wilderness, we don't. I mean, they said, like, God, like, your provision is not good enough. You're not giving us enough food. You're not giving us enough water. And, and even to like the cherry on top, they're like, God, in even the food that you do give us, we loathe it. It's worthless. I mean, parents, how well does that one fly? Right? Like when, you, when your kid comes up to you and they're like, you hate me. You don't know what's best for me. You don't love me. How dare you make me go to school? How dare you make me eat vegetables, right? Like, child, if you only knew, right? Like, if only you knew how much good I am shepherding you right now, right? Like, like these, these children of God, they, they're completely missing it. They completely missed it. Like, God is the provider. He's the, our source of provision. But yeah, they're missing it. They're like, God, we hate you. We hate your food. It seems like, Israel's, this new generation, they're about to just slap on another 40 years, right? Like another 40 years of wandering. God has a different way of judgment for this generation. Because look at verse 6. He actually will bring a curse upon them. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. 
so that many people of Israel died. So what is this new judgment? God's sending poisonous snakes. You know, my translation says fiery serpents. Yours may say venomous or poisonous. Like God sent snakes to them. But why? Like, like God, why would you do that? I mean, it, it goes back to the nature of who God is. Remember, like we, we, we kind of talked about it a second ago, that God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. So, so when, when God sends these fiery serpents, it's not as if God's trying to put himself in a boxing match with his children. But yet, what God is doing by sending these snakes, these fiery serpents, God is trying to open up their eyes trying to open up their hearts, that if they continue to go on this path, this path of of like complaining to God and thinking God's not a provider, that God's not good enough, like if they keep going on this path, that that path will lead them to their death. It's like, wake up. So this act of God's wrath by sending these fiery serpents is actually an act of God's love. To wake up his children. Come back to me. We can look at this and it can be almost easy to remove ourselves from this passage. Like not every day will our house be sworn with poisonous snakes. But I mean have you ever griped or complained to God about the direction that he has you on? The path that God has you on? Right, like, like you think like, God, I, I've been putting in more hours than anyone at work. Why have I still not been recognized? Like, God, why do you have me on that path? Like, God, I, I've been reading all the parenting books, but why are my children still not obeying? Why does he have you on that path? Like, God, I've been sexually pure. I, I've been good. I've kept everything, all my desires inward. But why have you still not given me a spouse? Like, like we, we have all these things and it's so easy to begin to gripe and complain about the path or the direction that God has us on. Just like how God's people here are griping and complaining about having to go around Edom. Because we may not have this literal poison from fiery serpents inside of us, infecting us, but we do have this poison of sin. And just like how God's people, that poison from that fiery serpent was leading them to their death, our sin will lead us to our death. So before we begin to question God, like why does he have us on certain paths, it would be helpful to take a step back and wonder, God, like what are you showing me? What are you trying to teach me here? And just be patient and rest in that. That God is a provider. That he disciplines the, wo- the ones he loves. So instead of immediately questioning the path, just rest where he has you. Because it goes back to that one key biblical truth that we see throughout the entire biblical narrative. That our salvation is completely dependent on God's provision. Because this will actually lead us to our second point. Searching for the remedy, searching for the remedy. So the question remains, 
how is God's people going to respond to these snakes? How are they going to respond to God's wrath? Will they find their remedy to be, you know what, let's just start killing all these snakes? Let's just leave this area? Like, like what's, are they going to try to put their, the remedy to these, this poison inside their body? Are they trying to do it in themselves? Or will this new generation go back to the Lord? I mean, how would you respond? Right? Like, you have loved ones here in, this, in our passage. I mean, they're dying from these snake bites. They're you got men and women and children. Like you got all these. Like, like, they're, try, they're stuck. They're in this wilderness. They're, they're trying to make it to the promised land, right? And thankfully, what we see is that this new generation will quickly learn from their ways. Because look at verse 7. And the people, God's people, came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. You know, what, what's so beautiful about verse 7 is that God's people, they ultimately realized that their remedy was in God and God alone. They confessed their sins. They pleaded with the Lord. And they just like, Moses, can you just please, please just pray to the Lord for us. We know we messed up. We know we sinned against God. Just please pray to God for us. Do do you see that shift that has taken place in their heart? See, see, at first, because they had to go around Edom, they, they had to go the long way, they, they thought that they knew better than God. And now, because of God's discipline and his wrath, they see like, oh, no, 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 we don't know better than God. God knows better. Their hope is founded back in the center of their Lord. What's happening here in this passage, I think is so important for us, church, is that what God's people right here is displaying for us is the necessity of prayer when we are in sin. The necessity of prayer when we are in sin. I mean, when you get caught in a sin, like when your spouse catches you doing something that you're not supposed to be doing, when your teacher does, or a friend, like when you get caught red-handed, I mean, it's easy to like kind of begin that, that process of repentance, right? Like it, the sin's out there. Maybe you want to hide a little bit, but it's exposed. Usually when sin's brought to light, it, it's easier to begin dealing with it when it's exposed, when you begin to confess it. But I want to talk about the sins that we do in the closet. You know, you know those sins that, that nobody's watching, you know, it's up late one night, you're scrolling through your phone and you stumble across a few websites or, you know, it's tax season and, you know, if I just check this box, maybe I get a little bit more back. Just be a little unfaithful with that. Like, like those sins that no one would really know about. How do you handle those? 
what God's people are showing us here is that it is necess- there is a necessity of prayer when we are in sin. There's two things that God's people shows us of how we should approach this prayer here in verse 7. When we think about confessing sin, first we see humility. We have to become and get to an honest point with ourselves that we don't know better than God. At first, Israel thought they did. And they quickly realized they didn't. So when we go into the Lord in prayer, all kinds of prayer, but really specifically like thinking of like confessing sin, we need to be humble. We need to realize that we are the sinners. We're the broken clay pots. We're the ones who are worthless. Like We don't have anything to offer. But yet we're going to a holy and glorious God. We need to be humble. The second thing that God's people shows us when we think about confessing sin is actually confession. It's easy to just, when we confess sin, to pray like, God, I'm sorry for my sins. And I think that's good. We should, we should say that. But, but look here in verse 7. They specifically confess what they did wrong. They confess that they spoke out against God. They specifically confess that they spoke out against Moses, the one who God put over them. So when we are in prayers of confession, like it is good to pray like, God, please forgive my sins. But it is really good for the soul to specifically confess the things that you know you're doing. Those, those cobwebs in the back of your heart. It is good, church. Because when we go to the Lord in prayer with a humble heart and a heart of confession, it puts us in a posture of dependence on Him. We recognize that our only source of life and hope and strength is in God when we do that. Parents, this could be so good to model for your kids. You know, at dinner time or while you're going to the grocery store, you know, whatever it may be, to, to model your, the, 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 the confessing of sin. So that your kids, as they look up to you as a model, that they see that you're not perfect. That they see that you too are a sinner. And how you handle your sin will be more likely how your kids will handle their sin. So if you handle your sin by going to the Lord in confession, how beautiful will it be the day that you'll see your child run to the Lord in confession? Take time to pray. Show them that you're just as messy, that you're not perfect. Confess to the Lord because when you do that, you're ultimately showing your child that it is God who delivers. And we actually see that in our passage. Look at verses 8 and 9. And the Lord said to Moses... Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. See, God's people, they got to this place. They were in this this sin. They were experiencing the wrath of God. And they've gotten to this place where their only hope was going to be in God's provision. In that confession, in that prayer, they knew that they needed God to help them. That they couldn't help themselves. So now there's two options for God's people. Two options for this deadly poison that is running through their body. 
first option is that they can refuse to look at the serpent and die. They could do that. God didn't tell them that they had to. That they could refuse to look. Or the second option, to look at the bronze serpent and live. See, what happens here is that God took their curse, the fiery serpents, and displays this curse on a pole. And whoever looks at this curse who's on the pole will live. Now, church, who does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus. Where Christ took our curse and then was put upon that cursed tree so that for who anyone looks upon Christ will be saved. Jesus will actually pick up on this in John 3. A little bit of context of John 3. We see this interaction Jesus will have with a Pharisee. His name is Nicodemus. A Pharisee was a religious leader. He was really good at checking the boxes. Like, really good. Like, I did this, check. I did this, check. Like, I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. Like, really good at that. So he, he Nicodemus found Jesus at night. Right? Like, Nicodemus, he didn't want his other Pharisee friends to know what he was up to. He kind of went up to Jesus at night. And began to talk to Jesus. And he's like, Jesus, like, you speak differently. Like, like you're doing things that like, only God can explain. Like, like, you get a sense that Nicodemus realizes that Jesus has just a different kind of authority. The way that he speaks, the way that he heals. Like, Jesus is just different. So Nicodemus is just having this interaction with Jesus and, and what we discover, like Nicodemus, he, he's priding himself on his works. The things that he's doing as this religious leader, as this Pharisee. And so he's equating his works, what he can do with his salvation. And then Jesus just kind of drops a really weird bomb on Nicodemus. Jesus will tell Nicodemus, like, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Nicodemus is like, how can I? I'm a grown man. How am I supposed to like crawl back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? Like, it's impossible to do that, Jesus. That's the point. This work of salvation, this work of seeing the kingdom of God is an impossible work that you can do. It's only a work that God can do. This new birth that Jesus is talking about is a spiritual new birth, not a literal new birth. And ultimately, Jesus will tell Nicodemus what he came to do. So let's read that together. The words will be here behind the screen. Let's finish this conversation with Nicodemus. John 3, 9 through 16. Right, so this is after what Jesus just said, like, you must be born again. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Again, you get a sense that Nicodemus still doesn't get it. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. 
See, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into the heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And here it is, verse 14, church. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Point three. Look to Christ and live. Look to Christ and live. What we see in John 3 with Nicodemus is that he thought his remedy to his sin issue was to be a perfect, obedient follower of the law. But yet that will still come up short. He still had his sin issue. He put his hope in the works that he was going to be able to do. So when we think about our own sin, this infection that, that, that just begins to creep and destroy all parts of our lives, how do you handle it? What is your remedy to your sin? You know, if you have a, a sin of greed, of money, maybe your remedy is to work extra hours. Like, I'd rather have a little bit more money than to maybe spend time with my family and my children. Maybe if, if you struggle with uh, gluttony, you think the remedy is just to go on the perfect diet. And maybe if I'm on the diet, then I can fix my sin. Just like God's people in the wilderness... They, they, they got to this crossroad moment in the wilderness. Were they either going to look at the serpent and live or were they going to not and die? Church, we can try to put band-aids on our sin. We can pretend that we have them all figured out and that they're fixed and that we can do this work on our own. But just like the children in the wilderness, we're going to have to come to that same crossroad decision. Are we going to look to Christ and live? Or are we going to look away and die? Again, as Jesus says in John 3, 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Christ took our sin. He became the curse, and gave up his life, church. And that curse that Christ took was our curse. The curse that we should have died for. But yet, God gives a provision. And this time, God's provision was not a bronze serpent, but it was his son. His only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you hear the plea to look at Christ this morning, church? You cannot fix your sin. You can try to, but you can't. Your only remedy is Christ and Christ alone. 
So hold on to that truth, church. Because it doesn't matter how far gone you are. It doesn't matter how hard your heart has become. It doesn't matter how callous you feel you are to God. No sin is greater than the cross of Christ. So this morning, Christ is inviting each one of us to look upon him and believe. To behold the true bronze serpent upon the cross. There's three truths about beholding Christ on the cross for us this morning. First, just like the children in the wilderness, we must trust God's provision. Do you trust that God is the only source for life? Secondly, to behold Christ upon the cross, just like the children in the the wilderness, we must repent. Our sin is a treasonous act towards God, but yet in his grace and his love sent a provision, which is his son. So repent, church. Turn away from your sin. Run from it and see Christ as greater. And then the third way that we behold Christ upon the cross, just like the children in the wilderness, they had to look at the bronze serpent, so we must look to Christ Put your faith in Christ this morning, church. Put your faith in Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. Because when your eyes are on Christ, there's those little wandering eyes where you'll be tempted in these other areas of life become a little less distracting when your eyes are focused on Christ and the cross. So as we end our time this morning, I want to end how one preacher says it. When we behold Christ upon the cross, he says this. Look unto me, I am sweating and great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascended to heaven Look unto me, I am sitting at the right hand of the Father, O poor sinner. Look unto me, look unto me. Church, who are you looking at this morning? Let us pray. O Father, we are the filthy ones. We are the sinners. We we deserve the curse. We, We deserve the death. But because of the great love with which you loved us, sent your son to die for us, to become the curse for us, so that we may live. So Father, I pray first off, if there's someone here this morning, who has yet to behold Christ on the cross, allow this to be the morning. Allow this to be the day that their heart is open to Christ and open to the gospel. Father, save them. And Father, I pray for us as Christians here this morning that we for never for a split second will take for granted the work of, that Christ displayed on the cross, Father. Help us to share that truth with those who we love, to those who are our enemies. Help us to see that that is the message where people will find life. 
That's the message of Christ in the gospel. So Father, be with us now as we take time to reflect on your truth and your word. In your son's name we pray, amen.